the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That pretty well-known exclamation is actually found in Psalm 118, verse 24. The Hebrew may also read, Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we even have some wonderful and expressive variations on this verse in our English Bibles, like, The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This is the day the Lord has brought about. We will be happy and rejoice in it. This is the day of the Lord's victory. Let us be happy. Let us celebrate. Friends, in this revived series, oh, that verse means that, we're continuing to scrutinize Bible verses we believed mean one thing, and in some cases, not only have we discovered they mean something quite different, but occasionally we discover they mean something much deeper. And if you missed the last few sessions or want to go to the podcast archives for the original series, go to faithtalk1360.com. In the search menu, go to local program podcasts. In the original series, begun in January 2022, I devoted 31 programs to illuminate 31 Bible verses that were either misread, mistaught or explained, or misapplied, thus giving birth to the series, oh, that verse means that. And friends, I want you to know I took no pleasure in that original series devoting 31 programs to bring to light those 31 Bible texts, and I take no pleasure now. But our New Testament coaches us on the right way to search the Scriptures versus the wrong way to search the Scriptures. Jesus is our first coach and scolds the Jewish religious leaders in John 5:39 through 40 And I'll quote from the Amplified Bible, You search and investigate and pour over the scriptures diligently because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And yet it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And still you are not willing, but refuse to come to me so that you might have life. Notice, Jesus distinguishes between placing one's trust in the letters or words on the page, so to speak, versus placing one's trust in the one the words identify, the Messiah himself. 
The Hebrew scriptures contain an eternal witness that testifies to Jesus' messianic claims, plus his redeeming role for humankind. So despite their exhaustive search of its pages, they read them with spiritually blinded eyes, missing the truth that every jot and tittle bears witness to Jesus as Messiah and his role as their kinsman redeemer. So they read the letter of the law, but didn't recognize the word made flesh who came to tabernacle or live among them. In attempting to decipher the letter of the law, they missed the word of God and therefore were blind to Jesus and deaf to his truth. Our second coach is Paul, who in Acts 17, along with Silas, visited Berea. As was their custom, they preached first in the synagogue and hear Paul's commendation of the Berean Jews. Now the Berean Jews received the message with great eagerness and searched or examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So here we see this kind of searching was intended to validate, prove, or verify that Paul's message about Jesus being the Messiah was true. And friends, why is this kind or type of searching important? Because, friends, the Bible has a story to tell us. It's crying out actually screaming out to tell us its story. But what do we pastors, teachers, and preachers, and average Christians tend to do? We force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. To that I say, shame on us. So rather than just cavalierly and authoritatively bark out what we think a verse means, let's wear our detective's cap, pull out our pocket spiritual magnifying glass, and strap on our Hebrew sandals this time, and diligently search for what may prove to be a deeper meaning, a meaning that we extract from Psalm 118's immediate context, along with its historical context, which happens to be planted in a messianic context. One messianic translation for Psalm 118.24 mirrors our standard English Bible with, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And since the Lord here is God's name, they have Adonai in its place, meaning Lord or Master, so as not to violate taking the Lord's name in vain during public reading. Another Messianic translation says, This is the day Adonai, or the Lord, has made, a day for us to rejoice and be glad. The long-standing and respected 1917 edition of the Jewish Publication Society's traditional translation is also close to our English Bibles. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The JPS updates of 1985 and 2000 have only a slight difference. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us exult and rejoice on it. In other words, on this day. Well, friends, all this attention to one single sentence helps us to get at the crux of the matter. So we ask the right question. And the right question is reflected in our title for today. We will rejoice and be glad in what? Some of our more straightforward translations say it. In other words, we will rejoice and be glad in it. The phrase in it is not really in the text, but is logically assumed by the earlier phrase, this is the day the Lord has made. So we can safely assume that the psalmist means, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in this day. 
which naturally leads us to ask another question, right? What or which day is the psalmist talking about? Students in my classes and in my Bible studies know that I always ask them which is the most important word in a verse, and they know that it's usually the smallest or seemingly insignificant word. In this case, it's it. In other words, we will rejoice and be glad in it. But since it is not technically there, we assume it refers to the first mention of day. This is the day the Lord has made. Well, friends, to answer the question, which day is the psalmist referring to, we'll need to do a little digging. But digging into the scriptures is really a fun and enjoyable exercise and yields a great reward. Now, some of you may be saying, who cares what day it is? But investigating the day in this psalm will take us on a great road trip through the scriptures, and a fringe benefit will be seeing how our scriptures are divinely inspired and interconnected from Genesis to Revelation by the Holy Spirit. One former generation scholar referred to our Bible as containing the scarlet thread of redemption, meaning that in each book of the Bible there's a snippet of Messiah's blood, either in veiled form or direct mention. Now that's pretty cool, huh? Well, friends, let's listen to all of Psalm 118, where this verse we've been discussing is embedded. And I know you'll hear statements with which you're already familiar. Praise or give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, let Israel say, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, let those who fear the Lord, Yahweh, say, for his loving kindness endures forever. And let me just pause here, friends, in regard to this word, loving kindness. We expanded on this in our last program, but I'll give us a Reader's Digest summary here. This is a unique Hebrew word for love, chesed, and stands for the loyal love, the covenant love, the steadfast love of God for his chosen people, Israel. One Messianic translation says grace, because incorporated into this word is God's loving favor or grace that he bestows on those in a committed and abiding relationship with him. The King James translators realized they'd need over 25 English words to adequately and fully explain and the all this all-encompassing meaning of this term. The psalm continues, Out of a tight place I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me with a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Sound familiar? Paul paraphrases this in Romans 8.31. The psalm goes on, The Lord is for me. As my helper, I will see the downfall of those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me, yes, all around me. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees. They were extinguished like burning thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. You pushed me hard and made me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Sound familiar, friends? This is a direct quote from Exodus 15:2, known as the Song of Moses and Miriam, sung by the Israelites after their Red Sea victory and deliverance. Psalm 118 is the last of six Egyptian hallel, or praise psalms, sung in connection with the Passover meal and ritual, and other Hebrew festivals. 
festivals. They reflect on God's redemption of his people, particularly from their bondage in Egypt. These Psalms, 113 to 118, were sung in Jesus' day for Passover. Matthew and Mark tell us Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn at the Last Supper, the Hebrew parallel being the Hallel Psalms. Imagine Jesus singing these Psalms with complete knowledge that the Father's mercy, his chesed, and endurance would be tested to the utmost when shortly after Jesus went to the cross. The psalm continues, Shouts of joy and victory are in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand is mighty. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand is mighty. I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me hard, but has not given me over to death. Now listen carefully, friends, for these final verses, 19 through 29, contain some incredible messianic implications, which are quoted by New Testament authors. The psalm finishes out, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, Yahweh. The righteous will enter through it. I give you thanks, because you have answered me and become my salvation. Ding, ding, ding. Sound familiar, friends? In John ten seven through 9 Jesus tells the people and the Pharisees, Amen, amen, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved. Ding, ding, ding. Recall the psalmist's words. This is the gate of the Lord, Yahweh. The righteous will enter through it. You have become my salvation. Shortly after Jesus says these words in John ten nine in fourteen six he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the Psalms finale. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Did you catch that, friends? This is a key statement in the New Testament understanding of the person and work of Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus quoted this of himself. Here's Matthew's quote, the context being the Jewish religious leaders challenging Jesus' authority and Jesus concluding the parable of the landowner with, Did you never read in Scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people or nation. The word Jesus uses here is ethnos, where we get our English word ethnic. It was a first century kind way of referring to the pagan Gentiles. So Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you Jews and given to pagans. Whoa! Jesus then said that the kingdom would be given to pagans who would produce the fruit of the kingdom. What a slam, right? Finally, Jesus ends with, and he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Friends, Psalm 118.22 is quoted in the New Testament more times than any other Old Testament verse. Not only is it quoted in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Paul alludes to it in Ephesians 2.20, and Peter refers to it in 1 Peter 2.7 and 8. But the kicker is Peter's words in Acts 4.11, where he modifies it slightly, whereas Psalm 118.22 says, The builders... 
Peter strengthens it by saying to the Sanhedrin rulers, This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders that has come to become the chief cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay, here it comes, friends. Psalm 118.24 now says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Friends, this verse comes right on the tail end of Jesus quoting Psalm 118.22 and 23, which we'll repeat. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Well, let's pause here, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is listener-funded. Your financial partnership keeps this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at awordfromtheword at minister.com. We'll repeat this info at the end of the program. Well, friends, right after that glamorous Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem, the Gospels tell us that the following day Jesus has another brush with the ruling priests and elders who again challenged his authority. So he tells some parables, and during the parable of the vineyard which was aimed at them, he says, The stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. This came from the Lord, meaning God, and is marvelous in our eyes. All three Gospel accounts record the teachers of the law and ruling priests' response to Jesus' words. Luke's gospel is telling, which says, The teachers of the law and the ruling priests tried to grab him that very hour because they realized he spoke this parable against them, but they feared the people. I find it rather interesting, friends, that the very next verse in Psalm 118 is our verse for the day. Verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, oftentimes we just brush past Psalm 118.23, that in-between statement. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Friends, Scripture is continually reminding us that redemption, that a coming Messiah who'd bear the sins of the world, was God's idea. It was God's doing. Here the psalmist speaks on behalf of the redeemed of the Lord, who recognize that their lives and future are built upon that chief cornerstone, that expected Messiah figure, and therefore it is a marvelous work to behold. Despite the rejection of the builders, those resistant Jewish religious leaders. Isn't it interesting, friends, that in Acts 7, where Stephen is executed as a martyr, is recorded, his final speech to the religious leaders includes this, Oh, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did, you do as well. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed the ones who foretold the coming of the righteous one. Now you have become his betrayers and murderers, you who received the law by direction of angels and did not keep it. Their God, Yahweh, gave them the law of Moses, but during the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, when Jesus comes on the scene in the Roman Empire, the Jewish religion had already been tarnished by these Jewish religious leaders. They co-opted a religion of faith and converted into a religion of works, laws, and rules. 
This way they could maintain their religious authority and power base as the religious caretakers of national Israel. How do we know this? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapters 5-7, through has a curious entry by Matthew himself at the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon. In chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, we read, Now when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. Whoa, did you catch that, friends? The authority of the ruling priests, scribes, and elders, including the Pharisees and Sadducees, has just been undermined. Yeah, friends, the Messiah came from God, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen. This is God's doing, Jesus the Messiah's exaltation from the cross to the resurrection to the ascension to the right hand of God the Father is the work of God alone. God the Father lifted Jesus high again, exalting him above everyone and everything. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 11? Let's hear these words to the Philippian Christ followers. Have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Messiah Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be asserted, but laid aside his privileges, taking the form of a bond slave, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father." No one else, friends, could exalt Jesus. This was God's doing. The religious leaders couldn't exalt Jesus. They rejected him. The Roman leaders couldn't exalt Jesus. They crucified him. The Jewish multitudes couldn't exalt Jesus. They chose another. Even the disciples couldn't initially exalt Jesus. They cowered in fear. Jesus' influential followers couldn't exalt Jesus. They buried him. Even the devoted women couldn't exalt Jesus. They were beset by grief. Only God the Father himself could exalt Jesus. Well, friends, here are some Old Testament prophetic references to a special day God has made. Psalm 2, 6-7 through 7 says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. In Acts 13, 32, and 33, Paul said in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch, We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. Well, friends, there appears to be three ideas that have come down to us from church history on this day that the Lord has made, and I believe none of them contradict each other, and they are not in any order of prominence. First, the church down through time has celebrated Easter as the day the Lord has made, and you know I prefer to call it Resurrection Day. Just as the psalmist was delivered by God, so now Jesus Messiah empowers us, comforts us, and snatches us out of the realm of death. Martin Luther said that all this is done so that we might proclaim the deeds of the Lord. 
Per Psalm 118, 16, and 17, The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Second, the day that the Lord has made is viewed as the day of salvation. In this, the Lord's people are to rejoice and be glad. In Second Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I, Paul, tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So in this view, the day that we call on the Lord to repent and be forgiven of our sins and take Jesus as our Savior and Lord becomes the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice and be glad in it. And finally, the third understanding takes into account when Jesus said, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, occurring shortly after his ride down the path to Jerusalem, which we now call Palm Sunday. It is suggested Jesus was responding to the accolades, the praise statements, and hosannas given to him during this triumphal entry. Since Psalm 118 is prophetically connected to this event, the day that the Lord has made may prophetically be understood as the day Jesus formally entered Jerusalem as the Jewish Messiah and King. And friends, I don't think we'll do the scriptures a disservice by making a general application as well. We can still tether our general application to the immediate immediate context of Psalm 118. The hosannas and praise statements in verses 25 and 26 connect us to that fateful Palm Sunday where the common people welcome Jesus as their Savior. We can rise up each morning and welcome Jesus, our Savior and Lord, into each new day, for each day for us is a day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. We'll close with an email where you may write me and inquire about how to financially support this listener-funded program. I love coming alongside those of you without a church home or those who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are at faithtalk1360.com. Podcasts are also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, our program is aired on 70-plus countries. Please consider investing in the mission of a word from the word and help keep us on the air. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.